You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hello, 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 and welcome to a very special edition of the podcast. Today, I am talking to my dude, Scott Marcourt from Stringjoy Guitar Strings. And I don't want to rehash what we go over in the beginning of this episode, but suffice it to say, the podcast and what I do would definitely be much more difficult, if not impossible to pull off if it weren't for the work that he and I have done together over the years. We go into some of that right in the beginning of the episode, so I don't want to go over it again, but I do want to say yet again, thank you to Scott for all of his help over the years. He's really completely changed the course of my career, and I couldn't be happier to know the guy. So with all that said, this episode is a lot different than your average Tone Mob episode. This episode is focused heavily on people who want to start a gear business in 2021, or you know, we're almost in 2022 now. So that's what this entire episode is about. I get a lot of questions about what should I do? I'm starting a pedal company, or I'm starting a strap company, or this, that, or whatever company. And Wampler and I used to talk about this stuff a lot on the Chasing Tone podcast, but it's been quite a while since we've had anything recent and updated that we could point people to as a reference when we get those emails. So that's why I wanted to bring Scott in. He's one of the best that I know for that kind of thing. And we shotgun a ton of stuff out on this episode. It's not a one-size-fits-all thing, but you can take a lot of these general concepts and apply them to your business kind of regardless if you're in the guitar market or not. It really applies to any internet direct-to-consumer facing brand. So I hope that this is of value to you. It's definitely not your average Tone Mob episode. That's why I wanted to give this little preface here. So if you're looking for a geeking and nerding about fuzz pedals, this one's probably not for you. But if you are somebody in the industry, it probably is. So there you go. That is the uh, warning. I don't know if a warning is a great, great term for it. But yeah, anyway, let's jump into this episode. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. With me today, I have my dear friend, my partner in crime, the guy, you know, who I might not be uh, be doing this quite in the same way if it was not for this individual, Mr. Scott Marcourt of Stringjoy. What is happening, my dude? Oh, you are so sweet, man. Thanks so much for having me on. And I, I know last time I was on, my audio was a little wonky because of my, my headphones. So you should see it now. I've, I've got a dynamic mic close up about three five be- foot back. I've got a Neumann U87 capturing that kind of low mid. I've got a ribbon mic recording the room. I've got a stereo pair up in the attic. <laughs> I've got a reverb chamber we built out back that I'm running the stereo pair out to. I've got a plate reverb over on the side. That's just for the dynamics. So you get that up close kind of shimmer. Uh, and then, of course, we're running everything uh, through a couple of vintage 660 compressors. Uh, it, it's unbelievable. It, it should be, I think your audience will be very pleased. I think they're going to really like it and they'll really enjoy the uh, harmonic content that is imparted. It's going to be really, really nice, except I think we're just going to use that. Uh, I think we're just going to use that lapel mic that you got there just for simplicity's sake, actually. If, if you want to, I'll send you the stems of everything. You know, I, I just, uh, 
I figured we were here to talk about tone and and why should guitar tone you know be the only tone we talk about? Why not the tone and timbre of the male thirty year old voice? <laughs> well, they've they've heard a lot of that over the years, as it turns out. Oh, is that right? Yeah, oh, they've okay. heard okay, they've, they've heard sense. a lot of uh, male thirty year old voices on this podcast, as it turns out. Uh, you know, Blake, my... and, and <laughs> I, I'm so glad that you're carrying that torch because I think we we would all agree that in the current political uh, economic climate. Um, we need more 30-year-old white male voices out there in the media. Uh, so I appreciate you providing a safe space for us to us to share our unique experience. Specifically in the podcast landscape. There's uh, not very much. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. There's and, just so and, few And, and guitar in particular, where we all know we're, <laughs> we're a unique minority. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Suddenly I feel like I need to hang up. I need to hang up the headphones and walk away. <laughs> I don't know why that I'm trying is. to I'm, I'm trying to get you in trouble Blake no no no, I, no, no, no. I it's a the, that, that's a whole separate conversation uh <laughs> the diversity in the guitar space there's certainly some some room to be improved there but we don't probably need to tackle all that uh, I have actually made a very serious attempt to tackle that when I've had you know ladies on because they actually have a perspective that I can learn from <laughs> unfortunately and, and yeah I'm I sure I don't think that's you in this particular <laughs> no <laughs> no no I'm uh, not the expert witness for that particular issue. <laughs> well, we're, we are working on it, though. We are doing that. Uh, you know, moving on from whatever that was. I'm not sure what that was. Just, I think a lot of self <laughs> I'm self just trying to hijack your, your, your podcast. I've got a lot to get off my chest today, Blake. I guess you do. I guess you do. It sounds like a lot of self-depreciation is what it sounds like. Um, yes, I, I deprecate with the best of them. You do. You do. N- never mind. I'm not going to make that joke. Um, <laughs> deprecate, Blake. Deprecate. Uh, oh, 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 oh. That's yeah. That's a different thing. That's your English major showing through. To- uh, totally different. Yeah, yeah. It's not an S. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, so I'm trying to think. Last time you were on, this was quite a while ago. So let's let's take a few steps back in history because. Uh, you were one of the earliest guests on the podcast. You were on episode 20. And I believe I was going to ask. I thought yeah. I was in the teens. Dang it. I just missed yeah. the teens. I was yeah, haranguing you. you. I, I deserved to be in, in the 18, 19 slot, but it, it took a little while to get together. You did, but you actually hit me up. Uh, and you were also one of the first people to hit me up instead of the other way around. So, <laughs> you know, that that was a nice thing. You and Brian Wampler. Uh, me and Wampler, of- that's a good team. I liked the cut of your jib. I'm sure he did too. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. Those the, then those two voices became the most prominent voices in my ears for the next six years. So that's uh, interesting. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a wild ride. But you were on episode twenty, and then I believe you came on sometime. I I didn't check the second appearance, but I believe it was some somewhere in the mid one hundreds. And yep. now here we are approaching episode two seventy something. Uh, all these years later, and yeah, as I believe we discussed the last time you were on, you're the person I speak to the most, other than my wife. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't believe I, I made it then over over uh, the kids. I won't say that. I'm not sure if you 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 say the names of your children on the podcast or not. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, Vincent and Rocky. Uh, okay. Vincent's, so Vincent's some people got to leave that out. Uh, yeah, I'm glad I, I snuck in between your wife and and Vincent and Rocky. You know, it sounds kind of weird, but yeah, it, it, you're you're right there with the children. You're, 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 and mostly because Vincent's, you know, in school now. So that's a little True. bit different of a story. 
I talk to you while he's at school and then him afterwards. But uh, yeah, it's it's been talked about a lot more in recent years as, you know, my involvement has gotten heavier and heavier in the, the string joy world. But, you know, I think it, I don't think we've ever really discussed it on the podcast, but you know, we're partners in that company and basically in every other thing that we've tackled together in the, the musical gear world, since you came on that podcast, it's been kind of a weird journey, but a wonderful journey, but I did want to take this it's opportunity to like a, like, a, like a coming out, you know, we're, we're, we're letting everyone know. We are in fact, uh, we're in fact partners, um, and it's and it's true. We're very happy. It's true. We're we're extremely happy. We couldn't be happier. And there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, most people out there may not know that you know we actually. Um, I, I can tell some of the story, but um, in the early days, shortly after we had that podcast, um, you ended up. I think it came first that that you invested um, into Stringjoy and, and Stringjoy, which is just you and me. Um, uh, and then it wasn't too long after that, that we started consulting together and working on, um, other pedal companies and some people even in, in different industries than guitar, um, which was great for both of us, uh, of course, because at the time you were working at the terminal, um, and I was holding down, uh, at least one bartending gig. Um, and, and truly, uh, doing that is what enabled both of us to be able to step away, um, from, from our jobs more quickly that, you know, it, it was later before Stringjoy was, you know, able to fund, um, you know, some of our income and, and, and of course, you know, you with the podcast as well. Um, so I, I look back at those days very, very fondly. Obviously we, we took our share of lumps, uh, consulting's always <laughs> weird, uh, a weird job because you're like, well, here's how I would do it. And they're like, don't do it that way. I'm like, well, all right, I, I'll do it the way you want. <laughs> Why um, did you ask me then? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But we, we learned a lot. We've got to work with some, some cool people and, um, Obviously, you know, we've, we've got Stringjoy now and some other things in the pipeline, um, a lot, a lot of potential things that we'll potentially be, be doing in the next, next year or two or three years, um, in, in other areas of the gear world too, which is all super exciting. Yeah. And I just kind of wanted to take this opportunity to, you know, just go out in public and thank you for, you know, helping me do that. And I know it was a mutual thing, but I know without your encouragement, I, I probably wouldn't have had the confidence in myself to take, certain leaps that I did take. And, you know, it, it's, it's something that's always kind of glazed over when I'm talking about it in conversation with guests, because it's more about them than it is about me, hopefully, at least that's the goal. And so I don't want to focus on that too much. But I feel like this is a good moment that I can be like, listen, this, uh, this relationship here is why you even get to hear this podcast every week, ultimately. So, you know, oh, thank, well, thank you for that. Thank you back. No, no, it was, it, it was a two way street. I mean, I, um, when I, when I started Stringjoy, I think I was initially enamored with being able to just do everything my way. Um, but what I didn't really realize is, well, for one, you know, there's a value to having two perspectives when you, when you get along and can approach something from two different angles as you and I, I think both do. Um, but the other big thing that I really didn't realize at the time is I would have gone, I'm certain I would have gone crazy by now. Um, it, I, it's been <laughs> seven, seven years of running Stringjoy, um, as of four days ago, um, and it, not having somebody else to bat around these decisions uh, with, I, I would have lost my mind a long time ago. I don't see how there's any way I could have could have possibly done that. Uh, which is advice I've given to other entrepreneurs. Like you, it, it, having a partner is great. Otherwise, you might drive your wife crazy. Uh, but you definitely, one way or another, need somebody else to really talk through all sorts of little decisions uh, over the years. 
A hundred percent. And it, you know, it's gone both ways, uh, as we've talked about a bunch of times, but I mean, down to simple things where I'm like, Scott, my website's broken. You know, like, I don't know what's wrong with it. And you're like, click that button. And I'm like, what does that have to do with anything? You're like, trust me, click that button. And then it's like, oh, it's fixed again. (laughs) You know, things like that, 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 that are mountains for the individual. When you have other people that have other areas of expertise that you can, you know, contact and work with, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. They suddenly become molehills and uh, it, it's it's really, really helpful. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. I obviously want to get into some of the changes at Stringjoy over the years, especially since the last podcast, but I really wanted to have kind of a, a business focused episode because Wampler and I used to do that all the time on Chasing Tone. And in the recent iteration, we, we kind of glaze over some of that and we don't really highlight those things anymore, especially we haven't really done it since the pandemic and even into 2021, we really haven't highlighted those on chasing tone as much anymore. And my normal guests on the podcast, it's still like really about their story and what's up with them. And sometimes that can lead into business sides, but I know that's really the area that we focus on and the area I get a lot of questions about from, you know, pedal, you know, upstart pedal companies, even musicians. And that's really what I wanted to talk about on this episode or like, what are some of the big lessons that you have learned over the years, you know, literally starting from zero going to where there's 20 plus people working for you now? Oh my gosh. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Uh, you didn't, you didn't brief me. You wanted to talk shop. I love talking shop. No, uh, I didn't think I'd so have that, to. That sounds very fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I need no, no preparation. <laughs> but yeah, so let's, let's, let's pretend that you're, a uh, Joe Blow pedal company and you have a great design, you've got great products or product even, and you're pretty comfortable with the aesthetic. You think that reflects what you're trying to communicate and you've got all that figured out. I feel like that's foundational and almost goes without saying. In 2021, what's the first step that you think you would make if you were, I'm just going to use pedal companies because that's most commonly who reach out to me. What, what, what's the first step that you would take? Yeah, hundred percent. So, I mean, first you have to figure out, you didn't mention your distribution model in there. So you definitely need to think about, um, do you want to be direct to consumer? Do you want to sell through retailers? Do you want to shoot really big and try to, um, get, you know, countrywide distributors to really handle your product? Um, within that, my advice, and I'm sure you would agree is always to start direct to consumer. Um, honestly, you know, stores and dealers are awesome, but they don't want to take a shot at something that doesn't have, you know, some proven sales and a proven track record. So with how easy it is to start up a Shopify website these days, um, and, and get something that's going to convert well and make sense to the common browser, I would immediately start, you know, by getting your URL, uh, creating a Shopify site, um, even if it's just for that one pedal, that one product, um, and creating a great listing on there. Um, this brings in, you know, a couple other important things like copywriting for one, um, focus on, on the benefits, not just the features. This is like a classic thing in copywriting that a lot of pedal guys, um, miss out on. Like, yes, features are awesome. You want to cover those, but you really want to focus on, um, how does this benefit the end user? What do these settings and parameters enable you to do with the pedal? What sounds can you make with the pedal that you couldn't with a different pedal rather than just like, yeah, it's got a filter suite in it. Um, so you definitely want to include that in your copy. You want to talk about what is unique about this product and what really sells it um, and make something that makes it easy for people to, to transact. Uh, another important thing on that is, especially when you're buying online, 
Um, you want to take all the friction away from the customer that you possibly can. If you can afford a 90-day you know, return policy, do it. If you can do a one-year guarantee on, on the parts that go into the product, um, that's super important. If you can manage to have free shipping, which let's be real, you probably should be able to do on, the, on a pedal that's $200, um, include that too. You want to make it so if you get somebody over to your website and they're like, man, this overdrive seems like just what, what I need. It seems like the sound that's in my head. Um, you want to just reduce all the friction possible to basically be saying like, hey, don't worry, make this purchase now. We'll ship it to you free. If you don't like it, we'll pay for return shipping. You know, it's guaranteed. Uh, you're not going to have any issues with this just like, you know, uh, petering out after uh, nine months or something like that. Um, so, you know, you want to get all that foundational stuff in terms of web uh, down. Um, the next step after that, of course, is you're going to want to have to generate some buzz. You need to get people over to this website. Um, so that they can think about making that purchase and hopefully eventually make that purchase. Um, there's a couple different schools of thought with how to go about this. Obviously, uh, organic social media marketing is great. You want to be on on YouTube, you want to be on Instagram and and Facebook and be be growing. You know, TikTok too. I don't want to seem like a, a luddite. Um, you want to be growing those audiences and building that community uh, with people that could potentially try your product. Um, another great solution that that I think works really well is influencer marketing. Um, if you can get this pedal that you have in the hands of guys on YouTube, uh, guys or girls on YouTube um, that are doing great demos and have an audience that's built in that tends to like the kind of product that you made, um, that's usually some of the best money you'll ever spend. Uh, if you can, you know, just give them the pedal or give them the pedal and a couple hundred bucks to do a couple demos, um, that's going to be awesome. Not to mention, you can take those demos, you can put them on your Shopify site in the description. Uh, that both works to help people that are on the site not have to leave the site see what the pedal sounds like, which is important. You want to keep them right there. Uh, but it also lends some some social proof, as they say. Um, because if I go to a product page and I see that Demos in the Dark and Collector Emitter and Andy um, and or Knobs you know, uh, have done demos about this product, that signals to me as a buyer. Like, I know those guys. I trust those guys. They do pretty good work and they do, like cool stuff. Um, so maybe this is one of those cool stuffs um, that I should try. So I think that's super important, especially with pedals. Um, if you do want to build in other other um, avenues to get traffic to the website, obviously writing great articles uh, never really goes out of style. Uh, articles that are well optimized for SEO that might eventually rank in Google. Um, you know, if I'm selling an overdrive, I might write an article um, about you know the top ten best overdrives or you know different features of of you know unique features on different overdrives, maybe including the one that you make. Um, I'd be writing about this sort of stuff, making that that kind of rank. And then, of course, the other big um, opportunity there is is digital advertising, of which there's a lot of different channels. Um, you can hit up Facebook and Instagram. That usually works best for most products. Um, Google and YouTube uh, is usually a, a higher uh, barrier to entry in terms of price, um, but can be really effective as well. Um, that all comes down to if you have the budget. Uh, but of course, what I always tell people is if you're starting you know, a new pedal company or a new whatever company, um, once you start to get those sales through whatever channel starts to work for you, um, you want to use those sales to reinvest in the business. And a lot of times that means dumping it all right back into advertising um, to help grow the, the, the word of mouth of your brand and help people get even more aware. Did that answer your question? <laughs> I think that did. I think that did. I was taking furiously taking notes. Uh, like, <laughs> no, you, you hit on a, a lot of like really good, like foundational things in there. And there's a few things that I'd like to highlight in there as well that we can, you know, we can expand. Yeah, on a, a lot of that's very high level, obviously. So there's there's certainly 
I can go deeper on anything if you want. That's right. We can the, each one of those like subheadings have multiple subheadings underneath of them. Yeah, so. yeah very much so. And and so, most of those have like years of you know techniques and stuff that takes a lot of time to learn. Yeah, exactly. Um, one of the the main things is where you started, like deciding on your distribution model. Like, mm-hmm. All of those work clearly, and we can find examples of brands across pretty much every industry where. Each one of those, you can be like, well, this brand did great on direct to consumer. This brand did great at retail, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But we can also find brands that have done both. And I think the most yep. important thing in the gear market in particular to consider is that it's one of the few where retail is still like a massive player. Uh, you know, you can make an argument where, you know, it's not as important in certain other electronics industries because of Amazon or whatever. Uh, but in the gear world, retailers still are a big player because let's face it, it's fun to go to the guitar store. Anything yep. that can be an experience like that, like your retailers are probably going to be a major factor in that industry, regardless of how much direct to consumer uh, online stuff ends up happening over the years. Um, and that's just because we all like we all like to go to the guitar store. Who doesn't? Yep. Uh, but what's important with a, a gear manufacturing company in particular, and really any kind of brand, is that you factor that into your pricing from the get-go. So it doesn't matter yep. if you're focusing on direct-to-consumer con- at first, which I think you should. You really need to think about, like, oh, do I have margin in here for dealers, uh, even if you don't think you'll end up wanting to have them? It's important to factor that in because, as we've seen, you never know who might come knocking on your door, regardless of if that's your plan or not. And it's yeah. nice to have that built in. Yeah. I mean, how many times have we told other people this over the years? Um, and it's it's a close lesson to to home for me because I, I learned it myself when I when I first started Strangejoy and I was just thinking about being direct to consumer. Um, we were seven bucks for a minute with like three dollars shipping, and then I realized it should just be ten with free shipping. And then, you know, even there, like we could kind of squeeze it. We weren't making any money. Um and it was only when we got up a little bit higher that like everything kind of penciled. Um, but yeah, you have to build that in. You have to figure if you have a $200 product, um, ultimately to be competitive, you want to be offering that to dealers for a hundred bucks. Um, and so you need to be making it certainly bare minimum for, for less than 50. Um, basically any, any, uh, item that you have, unless it's like a guitar where margins can be slimmer, um, you need to forex your cost at a minimum and ideally better than that. Um, to do it. But what a lot of consumers, I think, don't realize too is that, you know, on a $200 pedal, it might cost $50 to make. They sell it to the dealer for $100 and the dealer, you know, sells it to you for $200. So, you know, the, the real winner in this whole situation is the dealer. You know, they, they make twice as much as the manufacturer in a lot of, a lot of cases. And in almost every MI case, you know, uh, with our strings, our, our dealers make more money on it than we do. Um, and we made the damn thing. They just have it on the shelf. But of course, they take the capital risk in, in buying these things, you know, whether they're going to sell or not. Um, and that is, of course, this is a little bit of a tangent. But one reason that uh, uh, a lot of people dislike dealers that drop ship, where they're like, we're going to sell you this product, but we don't, we didn't buy it. We're just going to make the manufacturer ship it to you. And you're like, what? The whole deal that we made here is like you get half <laughs> half the margin because you buy 10 units. And, you know, whether you can sell them or not, you take that risk. Um if you're just gonna gonna sell it and then have me ship it to them, uh, why am I paying you half the cost of the the whole dang thing? Um, so you know that's that's one reason that's often frowned upon. 
uh, in the industry. But I do know a lot of uh, other gear owners that are like, oh, yeah, I don't mind when people drop ship. You're like, no, stop it. You know, tell them that they need to load up. If they don't have a pedal there when a customer wants it, they need to buy more pedals from you. <laughs> that's the deal. Yeah, that's that's always such a silly thing because and we've talked to, you know, some of those that we've worked with uh, over the years and they're like, well, but essentially you're just taking the sale away from me at the end yep. of the day, you know, and now that's not exclusively true. Uh, there are there are dealers who put out like very good content around specific products and push them. And that that's a little bit of a different story versus like, oh, we show it available when nobody else does, even though we don't actually have it available. Uh, <laughs> it's, yep. it's kind of a, a unique thing that a lot of people don't realize. And also, it's worth noting that when you break the numbers down that way, this might sound kind of ridiculous to your average consumer, right? It's like, well, what do you mean? It costs you $50, but you sell it for 200 and your fact, what, why don't you just sell it for a hundred and blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, okay. Especially in this day and age, uh, the, the goal across the board for most, especially most small gear manufacturers is like, we want to keep the lights on <laughs> a, yeah. uh, we've got, you know, rental costs factored in there, insurance costs factored in there, shipping costs factored in there, labor costs factored in there. And, you know, we're all trying to do a good job of taking care of people as well. So there's all yep. kinds of different things that that go into this that make it what it is. So you might hear these numbers and go, well, these, these are ridiculous multiples, but you've got to really take a look at every single thing that's involved. And that's what's, you know, left in the end price. And it's, it's yeah. not just like a game of like, when you mentioned like, oh, we were selling it for seven. Like <laughs> we were losing money. At that that we yeah didn't, yeah we exactly didn't, we didn't know what we were doing <laughs> like that was yeah the- and, and to my to my early brain i was like all right same thing you know i i can maybe get these for 350 and then i'll i'll sell them off for seven um it, you the costs creep in ways that you don't realize especially early on and if there's one mistake i see people making in business when they first begin it's that one it's the one that i made too um simply not pricing your products um high enough. And I'm not saying that for greed purposes. The, the, the reason is usually what you think your costs are, not your costs. Um, you don't, people don't have a full handle on what their actual costs are. Um, the most common mistake that I ever see um, is that people don't price in their own time. You know, So they might say, this pedal is $20 of parts, and it takes me a couple hours to build it, and then I sell it for 100 bucks. I'm making, making you know, some money here, right? Um, but what they're not thinking about is, at the end of the day, they don't probably want to be, you know, unless you're analog mic, you don't want to be building those things forever. Um, so you need to factor in what you're going to be able to pay somebody. Um, and then you still make some money for yourself to live off of on top of that. Um, and everyone kind of kind of misses that, you know, um, and, and especially these days. I mean, we don't we don't pay anybody less than 15 an hour right now. Um, and a lot of our employees make a bit more than that. Um, those costs have obviously gone dramatically up. So human cost is expensive and you have to price that in. Even if you're starting building your own stuff, you need to think about your costs as though you were paying somebody, not just, uh, you know, not an unpaid intern and not minimum wage, you know, paying somebody an actual competitive living wage. Um, and you need to build that into your cost. And you have to also assume when you're doing that, that they're going to be worse at it than you are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. You, 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 I and other people we've talked to, they're like, well, I can build them this fast. You're like, yeah, but somebody you hire is, not going to do them that fast. That's just not the way the world works. Well, it's something that we've talked about over and over again. And I feel like we're, I think, I feel like we're having a conversation with one of our, uh, 
one of our uh, clients right now. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Even though we've, we've kind of got out of that, I'm having flashbacks, but it's, it's something that, that sounds intuitive, but a lot of people tend to miss. And that's, you can't expect an employee to care about your business in the way that you do, nor should Mm -hmm. you. Why think Mm -hmm. of all the jobs that I'm talking to the audience here. Think of all the jobs that you've ever had. Did you care as much as the person that owned the company? Maybe you did in some cases, but I know for me, I certainly didn't. Uh, And you shouldn't be expected to either. So, you know, you got to take care of people, but at the same time, you can't expect that they're, that it's their baby in the way that it's your baby. It's because it's not most of the time. No, I, 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 I obviously completely agree. And, and a lot of times, even, you know, maybe your first employee or your first two, you might be able to, um, they might really feel a part of it. That's common. But once you get to employee number 25, uh, you know, it's a job, right? Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully a good job that pays well and keeps the lights on and they enjoy, but it's a job. Um, mm-hmm. And one other note on, on pricing theory, I think, is that um, people sometimes get a little bit too obsessive with the cost multiple pricing um, approach, meaning, you know, you, you look at what your, your net costs are of all, and then you multiply that. Um, ultimately, you know, the, the right price for something is what what somebody's willing to pay. It's a value-focused approach, you know. Um, you can survey any pedal company, you know, take JHS, for example, right? There are pet pedals that sell for $230. Um, like, you know, there's two different pedals they sell for $230, one of which the parts are way, way less, you know. Um, they sell some FV1 pedals for 230 and they sell, you know, the morning one for 230. Um, totally different, uh, margins on those pedals. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that's, that's the price that people are willing to pay for it. Um, so that's the price that it is. Yeah, exactly. And the other point in that too, is specifically with JHS, that brings up something that I really want to hammer home, especially in the pedal market, just because that's what I focus so heavily on. When I am talking to people who are just getting started or, you know, kind of struggling or wanting or maybe not even struggling, just wanting to level up in some way. The first thing I ask them is like, okay, in the quote unquote boutique, you know, guitar space, like I hate to use that term because some people hate it and some people love it, but it, I think we all all know what you mean. Yeah, exactly. So we think I say like, who are the top companies in that space? And it's like, okay, JHS, obviously, Wampler, Chase Bliss, EQD, you know, those are the names that come to mind. And Walrus. then I say, Walrus, yep, that's another good one. And then I say, with all of those, what are they, what are they all doing that's unique to, to them and that, that a smaller company perhaps is not doing? And the answer to that, especially in JHS's case and Wampler's case, uh, is marketing content, content yep. and marketing <laughs> yep. all the time I, with Wampler. Like I've been on the chasing tone podcast for almost as long as I've done this one that's come out every single week. Uh, and you know, it's a good time and it's, and it's a lot of fun and it may not feel like marketing, but it does remind you that Wampler exists every week. If you are tuning into yep. that podcast and you know, sometimes he does use it to be like, Hey, by the way, the rat's bane's out now. Uh, anyway, uh, poop jokes. Uh, like, no, it, 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 I'm glad you referenced that, Blake, because if there's if there's a second, you know, after the pricing concern, um, a second mistake that happens literally all the time in this industry, um, it's that somebody made a great product and they think they can just make a website like I outlined earlier and people will find their way over and buy it. I mean, how many times have we seen good products that just nobody cares about because nobody knows about them? 
Um, mm-hmm. Marketing is important, and everyone likes to think that it isn't. I mean, it's very, it's very easy to be like, "Ugh, marketing," and I get it. Um, but really, it's it's getting that awareness out there, and and the people that I think you you highlighted there, um, the pedal industry gets this right a lot, and I and I hope that we do at Streamjoy too. Um, the thing is, marketing isn't just like blowing people up with ads, you know, uh, like you see from some of the big string companies, for example, um, that are just like, play these because you're a serious player. Um, good marketing these days is more content marketing. It is those podcasts that you really want to listen to. It's the JHS show, which is like the best example of it ever. Um, Walrus does this all the time. EQD does too. They make really great content that you want to tune into because it's entertaining or it's educational. Um, it's inspiring or you know what have you. It makes you feel good. Um, and it reminds you that they make cool pedals that you should maybe buy if you need something that does this. Um, that is way more the modern approach. You still see so many companies going with the old, um, you know, pay Don Draper to make this, this great ad for you and shove it into every <laughs> magazine. Um, that doesn't work as well these days. Um, but having a reason to engage with your customers and really focus on that community of customers uh, makes all the difference. You know, for us at Stringjoy, we send out we send out two emails a week for a very long time. Um, we, we push sales periodically, um, but really more than anything, we focus on our YouTube videos and new blog content that we have, um, sometimes even content from other creators. Um, the goal is like, you should want to see our Instagram posts. You should want to watch our YouTube video. You should want to open our email uh, because there's value in there for you. There's things you're going to enjoy reading or watching or listening to or thinking about um, that isn't just like buy these new Levi's jeans. Um, and, and the guitar pedal community, I think, has gotten good at that. So insofar as you think about marketing, um, as assuming you're a, a budding entrepreneur out there or somebody with a business, um, I really encourage you to think of it from that perspective of how can I deliver value? What kind of content do I enjoy watching, reading, seeing um, on the internet or off the internet? And how can I create that for for my customers? Um, or you know, people that aren't my customers, so that they may one day, uh, with the proper cajoling, become my customers. <laughs> I mean, the reason I bring up uh, those ones is a because those companies are in the pedal world what are on the tips of everybody's tongues for the most part, and it's also they all do content marketing really well. They also all do it fairly differently. You know, yep. you, you might look at uh, especially as you know somebody who's by themselves, which is pretty much everyone starting out. You, you might look at the JHS show and go like, how am I going to compete with that? How am I going to make that kind of quality of content? And I don't have that personality that Josh has. I don't have this great studio with all the stuff that he does. And, you know, Wampler, you know, he, he's like, I don't have, I don't, maybe you don't have the technical knowledge to break down something into the individual component level that he does. I don't have X, Y, and Z. The point is find something that you can do. You know, yep. I don't have that knowledge either. I just happen to be good at flapping my gums. And so I figured out this, <laughs> this weird thing that I do now. Um, and no, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And all those people that you mentioned, um, it, it strikes me that almost all of them are good at some channels and, and, you know, either completely don't use other channels or are less good at them. Um, obviously, uh, JHS, great on YouTube, their email list. I've been on their email list for years. There's nothing there. It's it just don't do it. Um, they have a lot of people there, but they just don't even, you know, really pay attention to it. Um, but they don't really necessarily have to. I, if I, if I owned that company, I would go for a more multi-channel approach. Um, but you know, they do great on, on YouTube. Wampler is pretty diverse. I think he does a really good job. Um, 
And uh, the, the one I think that does the best in terms of multi-channel marketing is probably, probably maybe Walrus. Um, probably maybe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they, 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 they are very solid. Like they're very consistent and solid across almost every channel. I don't believe they're into podcasting. So, so, you know, maybe even they're an example like anybody else, but um, the, the lesson here is twofold. For one, you don't have to do everything at once find what works for us in the early days that was Instagram. And then we've segued and pivoted off of it. Um, but find a channel that's making sense and then do it the best you possibly can. Um, but then part two of that is over time work to diversify your traffic channels. Ideally as you know, a smart marketer, um, should have a finger in, in every, you know, everything out there, you'll be better and worse at some things, but you know, if you really scale up a company to where you have 40, 50 employees and you, you know, can do it, you should have a YouTube channel and, you know, feeds across every social network and a podcast, which I don't have a podcast, but I should probably, uh, you should have a great blog. You should really be focusing on your email. Um, you should do all of these things. Um, we've moved to, you know, I think a world in which, um, a lot of brand relationships are platform agnostic where, um, you know, I like, let's say Walrus, um, and I may follow them on every platform and see their things on different platforms. And if I'm going to buy, uh, just as using them as an example, a walrus pedal, it's probably because I saw a post on Instagram and then I watched a demo on YouTube and then maybe somebody mentioned it in a podcast or in a forum somewhere. Uh, it is these different and multifarious touch points that lead us to get to the point that we think like, man, I do really want to buy that. I think that is the right thing for me. Um, so long-term, when you do have that, that firepower and those capabilities, you really want to be using every channel. Yeah, and I think it is also, you know, it's, that is the ultimate goal, but also like, don't beat yourself up about not doing it. You know, if no, and don't, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cause then you'll just, you'll end up kind of having a bunch of stuff that's okay and none of it yep. that is really great. So, you know, I'm super guilty of that. I have had, you know, a lot of, um, it's a lot easier to get people over to my YouTube channel than it is to get people over to my podcast, but because it's mm -hmm. not my strength, I'm not like super great at it. In my opinion, it's not something that I've put enough focus on is doing YouTube videos. In fact, last time I did my whole area caught on fire. So I mean, maybe I take it as a sign that I should stick to one thing. Huh. Uh, but, but the point is, is like I, when I do push that, it does work for me. Uh, but at the same time, I know it's not where my strength lies or where I currently have time to focus because, you know, as you are very aware, Scott, doing a lot of things at the moment and it gets uh, things end up having to get backburnered. And I I feel a little yep. bit weird about it because I know that I should do better. But at the same time, you do have to focus on what's working, especially when you're by yourself and yep. you have a bunch of responsibilities. So. All that to say is like you should try everything, you know, put put a good month into everything and see which one you like the best and see which one people are responding to the most and go from there because it, it burnout's real. And it's unless you have a big team behind you or even a even just one other person, <laughs> it gets really, really challenging to do it all all the time. And Agreed. uh it's, and, uh, and that's why I split that. I don't. I, I, I hope I don't want anyone to take away that I'm like everyone has to do everything. Um, if you're, you know, a company with a couple of employees or you're on your own, try to find that one thing that works well and just do that really, really well, hundred percent. Um, mm -hmm. You know, my my kind of uh, other ideas about being multi-channel really apply to larger companies. You know, especially when you get. 
20, 30 plus employees. You know, if you're JHS, you're, you're, you're losing money by not having a good email strategy. You just, you just are. There's no other way around it. I, I understand that they may not like it, uh, or want to do it, but there's no reason not to. Sure. The YouTube channel does great, but, um, there's no reason to just let all those other channels, um, kind of lie fallow. Um, but, but again, that's it. There's two different advices here. One for startups and smaller companies and one for, uh, larger enterprises. And that, this is reminding me of something that I don't want to, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus, but Scott, you know what I'm talking about here. There was somebody that I consulted with early on. Not, we didn't get to the level where it was a, uh, an ongoing thing. It was just the initial consultation and they had had some success, you know, 10 plus years ago and they had a, a, a team and they, they were doing, they were doing relatively well in the, in the uh, MI industry. And I took a phone call with this person and, you know, explained to them basically what we just said, <laughs> like really, like almost, almost verbatim, like, here's, here's what we would do. And here's where we would start. And here's, here's what we think you should look at. And the response was, wow, that sounds like a lot of work. I'm like, well, yeah, <laughs> it is. It is. It is a lot of work. But if you really want to stay relevant in the current market that we have, which is extremely saturated and everybody's trying to do it, then these are the things you have to take a look at. And that yep. attitude of like, well, I just made a really cool thing and and it just worked. Sure, a blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while. That can work. You can make a you can make a really good product and just kind of rest on that kind of. But in general, no, that's not true. Uh there's only yep. one uh, analog mic. And even he goes on podcasts sometimes, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I mean, and a lot of that's the changing model in the MI industry and, and every industry. They're all like this, where um, I, I talked with one company that also I'm sure you probably remember, Blake, where um, they were telling me like, you know, they don't need to do marketing. They make their product, they get it into every store in the US and the people at the stores are their marketing channel. And that's not the worst, you know, like that works. That's not the worst idea. Um, you're just leaving a lot of money and a lot of awareness on the table by not also working it on your own. You know, you do these days need to have your own marketing approach while also maximizing the kind of marketing you're getting from your, uh, your customers, you know, sharing that socially as well as dealers working to promote it and influencers and all that. Um, the ultimate thing is, you know, you kind of ultimately want, want to have everything. It and it's a handshake deal, right? Uh, we've been direct to consumer focused for a long, long time. And this year have been, I mean, we've been doing it a little bit for a while, but this year has been the first time we've really focused on dealers. And just the fact that they have, most of them have heard of us before makes this a much easier onboarding process versus who? Or, you know, like. Oh, it, 100%. It, it, <laughs> and what, what's so interesting about that too is that. Um, when we started in 2014, those first couple of years, um, people, dealers were scared to work with us, not all of them, but a lot of them, um, because they were like, oh, well, you're selling them direct. So how are we going to sell them too? Um, so there was at the time th this definite sense of like, if you're going direct, you're, you're on your own. You're marooned out there. No, one, no one's going to work with you because you're trying to take money away from the dealers. Um, and we've seen just a, a sea change in that attitude over over the years. Um, initially, that was the case. They had expected me. I mean, I don't know what they wanted because if I had showed up at their door being like, hey, I make these great strings, no one's heard of them because I can't sell them until we get a dealer. 
will you be our dealer? They'd be like, no, <laughs> of course not. <laughs> right. um, so, I mean, that seems like kind of a catch-22 there anyway, but um, that attitude has completely shifted. Over the last couple of years, we really don't hear um, those types of concerns from dealers anymore. They appreciate the fact that us selling direct enables us to spend a lot on, on marketing and really spread that message and make it so that you know people that come into their store know who we are and have heard good things. Um, and if they're, you know, their guy behind the counter recommends them like, oh yeah, people say great things about those string joy strings, don't they? Um, so that that's just been a total change in the industry. I'm I'm very grateful for it. And we were very fortunate to start direct to consumer and then segue into retail because um a lot of our competitors, uh, we we've seen them be largely unable to do that. Uh, one in particular, the, the second biggest string company, um, they started direct to consumer like a, a year or two ago. They've been obviously selling to retailers for decades. Um and that did not last long. It was a couple of months before that add to cart button on their site got replaced with buy from Zounds, AMS, Sweetwater, Guitar Center, et cetera. Um, and now I don't work for them. I, I couldn't tell you exactly why that is, but I've always been suspicious that um, some of those large dealer accounts were like, what the heck are you doing? You know, right. you're going to try to take, take money from us. We're going to take the shelves away from you in a way that they wouldn't necessarily do to us because we started that way. Um, so it, it has been fortunate. Um, being able to start as something of like an internet 2.0 um, brand uh, versus being um, a brand that has all these established dealers. Um, because for us, you know, we're not in Guitar Center. I hope that we will be one day, but it's not high up on my list. Um, but for those guys, their whole business is based on Guitar Center. So GC can tell them like, if you sell direct, we're dropping you and they can't afford that. You know, they'd have right. to lay off dozens, if not hundreds of people. Um, so that has been been a, a fortunate strength for us that was unintentional. Yeah, and I, I want to point out, this is not really a critique of those businesses. They've been around no. for so long that that's just the way it was. That's just how yeah. it was forever. And then this whole internet thing popped up and it completely changed the landscape. And we, you know, we were born on the internet. We were molded by it. <laughs> <laughs> no, and you're you know? absolutely right. You know, it's nothing they did wrong. And, and to their credit, most of them figured out eventually like, oh, we need to be um, doing this. We need to be selling direct to consumer too. Um, but it's just so difficult. But I, I do think that's the wave. I, I think you'll see everyone going that way. Um, you know, Diderio is not, uh, is actually kind of starting to do that now in the spring world, which is, um, took a long time, but it's been kind of rare to see. Um, you know, in, in the other worlds, Fender's been selling direct for a bit now. Gibson's trying to, um, though they can't keep anything in stock. You know, the other issue for those guys too is that if you want to do direct to consumer right, you really need to slide your direct to consumer orders up in priority uh, ahead of your dealer orders um, because you can't just be have nothing in stock. If you go over to the Gibson site, there's nothing in stock, you know, um, because their dealers are getting filled first. Um, and if they have anything left over, it goes on their website. Um, and that just doesn't work, right? If you're a shopper, like you don't want to waste your time going over to the site to see if anything's in stock. Like you, you go there because you know it's in stock and you can get it. Um, so, you know, in so many ways, there's these, these little changes and tweaks in attitude, um, between those older retail brands and newer direct to consumer brands that makes, makes it difficult, I think, for some of the old ones to play in the new game. Yeah. And I think eventually the landscape will kind of level out and everyone will be more or less on the same playing field in both at some point. Uh, but I do think we're a ways off from that still. And the people we're talking to right now, you know, at least who I'm intentionally going to send this episode to when it comes out are not 
the big company, excuse me, the big established companies. They are people just getting yeah. started or maybe have been around for a few years and looking to level up in some way, shape or form, you know, and um, I guess going back to the very, very beginning of this conversation, the most important thing, though, like all that aside, let's not try to gloss over this. And this we say all these things just assuming this very base level thing that your product is really good. <laughs> like your product has to be good. You can do all of these things and, and implement all of these strategies. And if it just is some like, you know, Johnny come lately, like whatever product, then you're it, it's not really going to work for you. In most cases, you have to have something that's cool that you're doing uh, 99.9% of the time. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and, and it's funny. You're, 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 we, it's so easy when we like talk shop to kind of gloss over that. Um, you know, to me, it's because it's, it's assumed uh, right. <laughs> that, that, that the, the product is good or none of the rest of this stuff matters. Um, but it is super important. You couldn't be more right um, about all that. Well, that's why we struggled uh, when we when we branched outside of MI, you know, in a, in a couple instances, uh, there were some clients we got and we're like, but what is this detox tea? We're like, this is a bunch of nonsense. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> just, this doesn't oh, make no. any sense. <laughs> like detox yeah. tea. Like this is and, you know, I'm like, I know just enough about nutrition to be dangerous. And I know that this is largely nonsense. Uh, and so that relationship soured real fast, <laughs> basically. So you, you have to have product that you believe in and you can honestly promote in a in a real way or none of this matters. And I, I feel like that goes without saying, but at the same time, we've seen a few examples where that's not the case. Yeah, 100%. And, and gosh, I, I, I'm sorry, having flashbacks to uh, that particular client that we, we worked with that time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There was nothing like me getting screamed at on a Sunday afternoon. That was great for doing exactly every, what every we Every Sunday think. afternoon. <laughs> for doing yep. exactly what we said we were going to do. There's nothing like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way client work goes, let me tell you. Um, but no, you're, you're so right. I mean, it, all these things are like tactics that make the difference between somebody knowing what your better product is and somebody not knowing what your better product is. Um, but ultimately, at the end of the day, um, if you can create something that's different, if you can add value to a product line, um, that is definitely super important. It's not always necessary, you know, of, uh, of the companies that we mentioned earlier that are doing great. Um, most of them have a lot of very interesting, innovative designs and more than one of them, um, you know, have a lot of designs that are, you know, this is a CE2. Right. It's mm -hmm. just a CE2 um, in a different box with a fancy graphic, and we're going to market it really, really well. Uh, and so you're going to pay a fair bit of money for it. But at the end of the day, it is a CE2. <laughs> um, <laughs> and there's, there's, multi I, I don't want to point any fingers. And I, I think it's easy to pick the CE2 because that probably points a few different fingers, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah. So, I mean, great marketing, great sales can sell a mediocre product, it can do it all day. Um, and in fact, I'd probably rather have those two, two things be great, like a 10 out of 10, and then the product be a 6 out of 10. I think you'd probably do better than a 10 out of 10 product and a 5 out of 10 uh, on sales and marketing. But uh, at the end of the day, if you can offer value to the consumer, that is, that is what really counts. Um, and in our industry, um, 
marketing is as important as anything, but there's the ability for things to spread word of mouth in some really interesting ways. There's plenty of companies that have done super, super well without really creating their marketing channels on their own. Their, their, their rabid, excited, you know, buyers have somewhat created that for them. So let's use this opportunity since we have talked about products so much. I know for a fact that since the last time you came on the podcast that you have learned a lot about, you know, our own products. Uh, oh, gosh. Yeah. So let's let's go ahead and use these last last few minutes here before we get into some questions I've never asked you before. Uh, <laughs> uh, what are some things you've learned about strings in particular from the manufacturing and, and uh, development side since the last time we talked? If it's just whatever's at the top of your head. My gosh. Yeah. Uh, so, so very many. I mean, the, the pandemic certainly taught everyone some lessons about sourcing um, and, and the need to establish great relationships with your, your, your sources um, and suppliers be well known for paying on time and, you know, darn friendly to talk to. Um, that goes a long way with making sure you actually have the raw materials you need to make stuff. Um, but for us, in terms of the actual string manufacturer, there's been a multitude of lessons uh, even since we last talked. Um, certainly one of them is great tools are, are really important. Um, we've spent many, many different times um, talking about different winding machines and how we can make them better and all that. Um, but having the latest tools really does make things easier. Um, you know, we, the, the machines we have now um, where we can basically program the wrap angle um, and have that adjust dynamically over the course of the wind, um, that is not, the, some companies have those types of machines, but most do not. Um, and, and that makes a big difference being able to have that technology and use it to your advantage. Um, another big lesson that jumps right into my mind, uh, lately was we, we had a quota set for uh, a particular job here at the, at the factory. Um, and that quota was, you know, you should be able to do this, uh, we'll say 576 times over the course of the shift. Right. Um, and that was just always what the quota was. Um, well, we decided to run an experiment and we told one of our, one of our better guys, um, we want you to double that. If you can double that, we'll give you 500 bucks. You have to do it for two days in a row this week. You know, you can play around for three days and then Thursday, Friday, like, let's see it. Um, so he was like, all right, all right, I'll, I'll, let's see what I can do. Um, and he went in, thought about it over the weekend, went in Monday and did it <laughs> just straight up. Did it. He didn't even, he didn't even need to figure out any tips or technique or anything. Um, it was just being properly motivated that made the difference. And so now we're like, shoot, okay, well, so we, we said, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll double what we, that 500, we'll give you a thousand if you can do, you know, 20% more or 25% actually more than that. Uh, so that's what he's working on right now. He's gotten close. He hasn't just done it just yet, but I think he will. Um, and that lesson that, you know, we learned on the ops side, John and I were like, gosh, you know, people will do what you tell them they can do. Um, so really setting those goals. I mean, this is a classic Elon Musk thing. I'm like, we're going to the moon next week. Um, <laughs> and you don't, really, you don't make it to the moon, but you make it, you know, further than you probably would have otherwise. Um, so having those, those sort of audacious goals um, and really pushing people and motivating them um, is, is super important. And, and what we've seen too, is I think in the past, we, we, we paid a little bit less, you know, still better than the market, but obviously that's changed a lot in the past couple, couple of months. Um, and we weren't, you know, as uh, quite as demanding um, in terms of output out of our staff. And, you know, that kind of worked well. But obviously, the market pushed things um, up. And we discovered that 
we could kind of change our approach and, and be a little bit more demanding in terms of like the amount of output we expect out of one of our employees, uh, but also pay them a lot better and a lot more. Um, and I've kind of realized that that is the kind of company that I want to run where like, yeah, you're going to work harder here um, than you might in another job. You're also going to make a lot more money than you would in another job. And, you know, that deal doesn't make sense for everybody. I've worked those jobs where I'm like, I don't make much, but I don't do much either. <laughs> uh, and that's fine. Uh, but for us here, you know, I, I think we can strike that deal with folks of like, if you're going to be here, you know, work hard and work efficiently, make great quality product. Um, and, and you'll make more, um, here for doing that. So th that's just a couple of lessons, but I mean, I'm, I'm learning new things all the dang time. You know, I never mm -hmm. thought I'd get into manufacturing, um, because marketing's a little bit more my world, or at least it was. Um, but manufacturing is a lot of fun. It creates a lot of lot of problems, a lot of opportunities, and there's always an opportunity to be like, how can we do this ten percent better or ten percent faster? Yeah, I mean that's a that's something that I think that last point that every every business owner needs to think about. Um, this is this is probably speaking to the people that are a little bit further along. Um, but you know we're we hear in the news all the time labor shortage labor shortage and that's definitely true there's a there's a labor shortage but we need to look at the factors of why that is you know like what's going on here uh, that we can control obviously there's things outside your control but i think uh it's it's created a unique challenge for everyone and i'm not i'm i'm saying this as somebody if i was job hunting right now i'd be like i'd be picking the cream of the crop because you can, why wouldn't you in, in this climate, you know? And so you, it's a challenge as a business owner to try to create those things that are the cream of the crop to attract the best people. That's really what the game is. And that's what it probably has been all along. It's just been put under a magnifying glass in recent times. Yep. Yep. Very much agreed. I mean, that, that's, that's what it comes down to. Obviously you want to uh, create good jobs and, and make jobs that are, that are well-paying, um, and, and that's important. It's, it's been an interesting vibe as a, as a business owner in the years that I've been doing it where, um, you know, in the early days, um, the climate was very like, good for you. You're like creating jobs, you know, that's amazing. Um, and then I don't know, it's, it, that, that attitude has shifted a little bit these days. You know, I see a lot of people online who basically seem to believe like everything we should automate absolutely everything. Like, yeah, but you know, people do need things to, to do. Uh, we, we could, we could talk about that, you know, until the, the cows come home, um, of course. And, and for what it's worth, if anyone's like into this line of things, I do believe in, um, some modern economic monetary theory that, that, you know, adjusts with automation, but that's a whole other game that we probably don't need to really, really get into. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do that when I go for a walk later. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. That sounds good. <laughs> But the last thing, because this is supposedly a guitar podcast, but this came, this turned into, a, you know, direct to consumer brand 101, I guess, uh, which is what <laughs> I intended on. So that's fine. But in closing, uh, this is the point where I like to give the guests, you know, the chance to kind of say whatever they want to say. If you want to, you know, shout out, you know, Uncle Bob there at the steel mill, uh, whoever's inspiring to you. Uh, if you want to talk about, you know, Aunt Gertie's, you know, wonderful turkey she makes, uh, or just say anything you want to say, this is your opportunity to do just that. Wow. Wow. That's, that's a lot. That's a, that's a very tall order. Well, uh, I don't have anything too crazy about Aunt Gertie or Uncle Bob. They're both doing okay. 
Um, I mean, how could you not with that turkey, right? That's um, right. But, you know, uh, us, I know we haven't mentioned it much. Uh, we do make strings here at Stringjoy. Oh, um, oh, I think okay. they're, they're, they're very good. I, I think you maybe think the same thing, Blake. Um, and if you're playing a different brand, I think you should definitely give them a try. Admittedly, you know, uh, if you listen to this podcast, you know kind of how I am, you know, and nothing's right for everybody. But I think that ours are more right for more people than most things, for what that's worth. There you go. Uh, I think you'll really like them. Um, but, you know, more broadly, you know, right now, uh, as always, one of the things that I love about the guitar market is the way that we support um, smaller brands uh, with new ideas that are hungry and scrappy. Um, and I would encourage everyone, especially with how difficult things are for a lot of companies, and I'm really not talking about us, you know, strings are in a much better place than like pedals and amps and stuff right now, um, to support those smaller companies that you follow and that you know and that you like. Um, they maybe need it more than some of the bigger companies, to be honest. Um, and especially if they're doing kind of innovative work, you know, definitely support those people. Some people are having a really hard time right now with the parts shortage. Um, so I would encourage you if there's a pedal you've had your eye on and you've got the budget and it's not going to mess up your, your, uh, Halloween or I'm sorry, not Halloween, Thanksgiving or Christmas plans. Um, you know, consider getting it, especially if it comes from somebody smaller, they could, they could sure probably use the help and they'd appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. There's been a lot of talk about how well the gear market has done in these last couple of years. And that is that is very true in a lot of cases. But as we've seen in the last few weeks uh, with a few different uh, pedal companies closing up the shop, uh, that's not the case for everybody. Uh, It's really difficult for smaller people to, you know, grab those parts and and try to make those really innovative devices that they've become known for. And so if you can, please, please do it. You know, they, they would appreciate it and I would appreciate it because I want them to keep making cool, weird things. <laughs> so yep. that's a good, good. We point. all do. Yeah. All right, Scott, the final questions. And I know we've talked about the pizza question before, but I'm curious, are you still, uh, where do you stand on the pizza? What's your favorite kind? How you feeling these days? Man. So I, I'm a longtime pepperoni fan. I know in the past I've mentioned I do, I can, I can deal with a Hawaiian more than you. I, I know, I know, I know. But right now the absolute best place uh, for me for pizzas is Smith and Lentz brewery. That's Smith uh, ampersands L E N T Z here in Nashville. Um, they actually got like massacred by the tornado when that came through. Uh, they didn't make pizza at the time. They rebuilt and reopened earlier this year with like pizza being a thing. And Farron and I, my, my, my wife, uh, have taken like 35 different people and everyone's like, Oh my God. Uh, it's so good. They have this hot honey and pepperoni pizza. Uh, you can mm-hmm. quote, take it to prom, which is where they like, uh, drizzle the crust with all sorts of like herbs and olive oil and stuff. Mm. Um, that is, that is my jam. Um, if you're around super, super big fan. Um, the, the second pizza I've been enjoying, if you're looking for something that's kind of a mini chain and maybe more accessible in other markets, um, I've been enjoying the Emmy squared, uh, deep dish, uh, sort of like Detroit style, uh, also pepperoni and hot honey. If you can't, uh, can't guess I'm a pepperoni and hot honey guy. That's I, I'm, I'm with you on that pepperoni and hot honey. I learned that mm-hmm. from Roberta's in uh, Brooklyn and I'm glad to yeah. see it's trickling out to other places. Well, so we had a Roberta's pop up here in Nashville, um, like throughout all of COVID. Uh, which was dope. Um, oh, so I, I had plenty, plenty of Roberta's and Emmy squared came from Brooklyn too. They came from Emily, which is like another, um, another good pizza spot up there. Very cool. Very cool. Well, normally I ask those, these in reverse order, but because I, we've talked about pizza before amongst, uh, <laughs> well, on the podcast and, and also off the podcast quite a lot. 
I wanted to ask that first. Before I get into today's final question, and something I don't know about you, what is your favorite boss pedal? Ooh, that's a great question. So let me back into it as I'm thinking about it um, with the fact that I do not like the DS1. Never did. Oh, I owned on, one. Man. I was like, ugh, ugh, gross oh. every time. Uh, just not my style. You know, if I was doing some crazy solo and stuff, I'd probably be all over it. But let me think. I don't even, what's crazy is I don't even think I own any boss pedal that isn't a metal zone right now. Mm-hmm. If that's uh, if that's weird to believe. Um, but if I had to pick, had to pick, I'm going to go, I think I'm just going to go CE2. CE2 is great. It it's really a great is. choice. You can't go wrong with yeah. it. it. It's that sound. It is that sound that you have to it have. It is that sound. And mm-hmm. it used, you know, got super expensive, but the reissues are cool and they've got the CE1 and they invented it. And, you know, um, I do own more than one pedal that is just a CE2 with another knob. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't rag on them too much. Yeah. Uh, you can't argue with the CE2. That's a perfect, perfect way to wrap this thing up. Well, Scott, thank you so much for coming back on the show and, you know, Wampler and I have been struggling for a while to try to find a, a good businessy episode to point people to since it was so many years ago that we talked about that stuff on Chasing Tone. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get Scott on and then we can just point people over there for for at least the 2021 edition of uh, guitar equipment business, <laughs> you know, 101, I guess. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you for uh, for having me. Of course. Well, I think we can uh, slide over to the uh, premium content section of this podcast where I get to ask Scott more things that I had actually have never talked to him about, and I'm excited to hear his answers. So for Scott, this is Blake, and as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All righty, folks, there you have it. There is a great episode in the can. There was a lot of information in there. There's a lot to unpack, and I know we really rapid-fired through a lot of that stuff, but if you take some notes and do some more research into each kind of subheading of each of those prongs that we talked about, I think you will you will do yourself a favor. And if you're still listening to this point, I'm assuming that that was of interest to you. So thank you so much for tuning in. I hope that was helpful. And if you want to hear Scott and I talk about aliens and his thoughts on uh, environmental stuff, for lack of a better term, and you want to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash tone mob, where for five bucks a month, you get an extra episode beamed to your ears every week. Or if you are an Apple user, you can hit that subscribe button right in the app and you will also get access to that bonus content and help support the show. Thank you so much to everyone who does. It seriously helps immensely. And if you can think of somebody who would like this episode, please share it with them. This might actually pertain to somebody a lot more specifically than your general Tone Mob nerdy episodes. So hopefully you can think of somebody that this will help. Hopefully it's helped you. And I wish you the best. I'll talk to you on the internet. Bye-bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com stringjoy 
and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things. And by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com slash stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstory as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gun Street harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunStreetWiringShop.com and check them out.